I'm your host, Kristen. Welcome to Rational in Portland. So you'll notice we dropped the tagline where we say all the things you can't say in Portland from the show's header. Why is that? Well, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary. Thank you so much, everybody. We just celebrated it this last summer. That is due to you all. I love you all. And thanks for listening. I really appreciate the support. And we've had countless people on this show saying all the things you couldn't say in Portland before the podcast aired. We've got Renee Gonzalez, who is a head in the polls. Who would have imagined that a candidate would engage in the kind of frank and honest talk that Renee is engaging in and ask the kind of questions that he's asking and holding current leaders accountable for the demise of this poor city. We've had Sharon Myron come on and talk about the system of Multnomah County government and the stranglehold that the current Multnomah County chair, which has is terming out, Deborah Kofori has had over that chair position. Who would have thought that she would come on a podcast and talk about all those things publicly? In this way, we've really all come together and changed the discourse in Portland. And I think we're now within the Overton window, folks. We made it. In other words, for those of you who haven't heard of the Overton window, we are now within the range of policies politically acceptable to the mainstream population at a given time or the window of, of discourse. And I think the politicians that we've had on this show are proof positive that we are within that Overton window. So thank you to all of you. Lots of emails about whether we are going to have a voter's guide episode. Yes, we are. We're going to have a ballot pick episode on November 1st. So that will give you plenty of time to meet the November 8th deadline for your ballot. Don't forget that November 8th, your ballot mailed has got to be postmarked by election day. They must be received by 8 p.m. on election day if they're in a drop box or postmarked by election day. That is per the Secretary of State and Oregon.gov. So November 1 should give you plenty of time. Hang on to your ballot and we'll go over all of our picks with you on November 1. Today we've got Sonia Montabano from the Ulysses PAC. That is Mingus Maps's alternative charter reform plan. So those of you who are dying to know what Mingus's plan is so that we can vote no on charter reform on this ballot and so that we can be assured that we're going to have a good ballot measure to vote on. In this case, Sonia will explain we'll have two at least to vote on in May. Um, Wait no longer. Ulysses is here to explain to us what that plan is going to be. So stay tuned for Sonia Maltabano from the Ulysses Pack to explain Mingus Maps's alternative charter reform plan. Today we have Sonia Montalbano in the studio and she is from the Ulysses Pack, the Ulysses Political Action Committee. That is Mingus Maps's political action committee. Of course, he's on city council and he ran on charter reform. Those of you who voted for him like me will remember that he actually ran on charter reform and we've all been waiting for charter reform. And I know everybody wants to know what is Mingus's plan? And guess what? Sonia's here to tell us what Mingus's plan is. And maybe Sonia, we should start with just a little synopsis of how this plan differs from the Charter Commission's proposal, which is going to be on the ballot in November. 
Well, thank you for asking me uh, onto the show. I really appreciate it. And um, one of the important roles that the Ulysses Pack envisions itself playing in this process is educating the public about the current proposal and the alternative proposal, which is people are what people are calling Mingus's plan. So this is a great opportunity, so thank you for that. Um, there are some differences. There aren't that many. I think that's something that people really need to understand, but there are some important differences. One of the differences is that the current plan is proposing four undefined geographic districts. I don't know where those will be. Uh, I don't like to buy something if I don't know what it is. Does, does the Charter Commission know where those will be? No. The Charter Commission plan is going to, uh, what they reference is there is going to be a process after the fact where we're going to figure out where the districts are based on population. Mingus's plan wants to have seven districts and similar to the charter proposal, there is going to have to be a process that it goes through in terms of the districts have to be pop, you know, the population are going to be based on population. However, we're at least going to have, we have at least a rough outline of where those will be. In my mind, when I think about the current plan, I'm thinking, well, I guess all of Southwest Portland is going to be one giant district. Great. Those people will have one person or three people to represent their interests. I don't think that Portland is of a size where only four districts are sufficient to represent the many different types of uh, uh, communities within it. I think especially when you look on the east side, you're going to need more than just three districts. You've got North Portland, Northeast Portland, but within Northeast Portland, you've got totally different neighborhoods with dis different concerns. So that's one of the main ways in which we differ. There's seven districts under Mingus's Megas, plan. There's four districts under the proposed plan. The other important way in which they differ is that Mingus's plan has a single representative for each district. The proposed plan has three members who will represent each district. And frankly, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Um, I can look at the problems that a district might experience, and I think about my own neighborhood, and right now, when I have a problem, I call someone on the city council who's in charge of a bureau, and I say, this is my problem. Uh, if I had three people and, and there was a problem, I wouldn't know who to call, so I'd call all three, but more importantly, if the problem I have doesn't get addressed, how do I know who fell down on the job? So when it comes time to reelect that person, they're all going to be pointing fingers at one another. And I think that that's part of this problem. Uh, we Portlanders want people to be held accountable for the decisions they make, for the good ones and for the bad ones. And I think they are tired of people pointing the finger at somebody else and saying, well, it's not my job, it's that person's job. And when you have three people in an office or in an area representing a geographic district, I think that's what you're going to see a lot more of, as opposed to, this is the person I elected to represent the interests of my district. They fell down on the job. Get rid of them. That's uh, one of the other, uh, and, and the biggest issue that comes up with that system is that with Mingus's proposal, he is suggesting that as a separate ballot measure, which he will also get behind, you have ranked choice voting. The Charter Commission came up with single transferable, single transferable voting. So it's being referred to as ranked choice voting. It is not ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting, as it is traditionally used, is when there is one candidate that wins in the end. Under this plan, multiple people run. You rank who you want. And once a candidate crosses a threshold necessary to get a majority, and I'm doing air quotes that nobody can see, in this case it's 25% plus one, if that person has extra votes, they are reallocated to other candidates. And so someone who wins a majority of 70%, everybody loves them, fantastic, everything over 25% plus one of those votes are going to be reallocated perhaps to candidates that 
those people didn't support. So I just don't think it's an efficient system. It's never been tried before in the United States. Uh, it has, I believe the Char Charter Commission has pointed to Malta. It has been done in Malta. Um, I'd point out that's a parliamentary form of government that we don't have that. Um, and I just am tired of Portland being a guinea pig. I think there is a better alternative. And if, it, if people want to tweak it later, great. But let's see if we can get a system up and running as smoothly and quickly as possible. So what do you say to people who say, exactly, let's pass charter reform in November and we'll tweak it later? You don't pass a bad idea just because you want something quickly, especially in this case when the alternative can be presented as soon as six months later. Mingus is committed and will come out and say publicly and has said but he's, uh, that he is going to, on January, propose that a ballot measure be put forth to the public in May with his plan and a separate ranked choice voting uh, opportunity. That is actually, by the way, what people who participated and commented in the charter process asked for. They asked for separate votes. That was one of the biggest concerns they had, that this was all going to be in one conglomerate of an option, and it's take it or leave it. And the Charter Commission told, not, uh, you know, decided not to listen to that uh, that voice. So, um, you know, to get back to your question, um, I I I think that there is a better alternative. I think it can happen quickly, and it is better to take a short delay to come up with a better outcome than get a bad idea past now. So does that mean that what Mingus is proposing is actually going to be two separate ballot measures? It will be. And and the two separate things that you would be voting on under Mingus's plan are the additional members to city council that represent geographical areas, and there are more geographical areas under Mingus's plan. Correct. And then the second piece or the second ballot measure is an actual rank choice voting that does not include this quote unquote single transferable vote. Correct. And so I signed on to a letter that you very kindly wrote um, in and it was published in the in the Tribune. Now the letter was brilliant, I thought, in part because you started with all these people are asking us, what is a single transferable vote? Like, you're a lawyer. You should be able to read this Charter Commission proposal and explain it to me. And in your letter, you said, we, our answer is, we don't know. And all of us who signed on to it, including myself and, and Edie and Courtney and, and the rest of us, we, we were all laughing together saying, that's exactly right. I mean, we don't. I, I, we had never even heard that term before. Do you? No, I had not. Not before the Charter Commission presented right. it. Right. Yeah. So where does the term sink? Do you do you have any understanding of where the term single transferable vote even comes from? Is this, does that come from the Malta example? No, I think there are some examples where it has been tried in other parts of the world. I don't know. I, you know, maybe it just came from a political philosophy textbook I, or a political science textbook. I can't tell you where they came up with it. It's just that is the definition of when you are employing ranked choice voting and your vote goes to another candidate because you have a multi-member district. So is it your, it's my understanding, Vadim was on this podcast and of course he has a political action committee just dedicated to voting no on the Charter Commission. Your political action committee, Ulysses, that you're part of, which I think Ming was Mingus was part of Ulysses when he ran for city council. Is that right? Actually, the political action committee was formed immediately after he won. Okay. And he ran on charter reform, of course. Yes. So that makes sense that yes. the political action committee was then formed. Um, after he won, so then you know he could go ahead and 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 he he remained on the political action committee, right? It, it's under his, it's under his purview, yes. Yes. 
So, um, which is great. I mean, I think he's, he's the best we've got on city council right now. I think he's wildly popular. So I think it's fabulous that he's backing this. Um, but of course, the Ulysses Political Action Committee, which you're here today representing, is the political action committee that is presenting us with this alternative. When Vadim was on specifically to argue no for charter reform, he told us that it's his understanding, and of course he was on the Charter Commission, resigned in disgust because he thought their plan was completely unworkable and not something that ever should have been presented um, to, to anyone, let alone formally presented to the voters as a ballot measure. He said that um, it's his understanding that somebody could win with, with under 25% of the vote. Absolutely they can, because if someone gets, say, 6% of the vote and someone else received a much more significant vo uh, part of the vote, their votes will be transferred potentially to that person who got very few votes. And if it boots them, boots them over the threshold, then they are elected. I was listening to Think Out Loud the other day and someone was saying, oh, well, I think it's disingenuous to say that this will lead to fringe candidates potentially getting on the city council. That's not what has happened in other jurisdictions in the United States where this has been used. Where, where has this been used in well, the United States? The point is, it hasn't. Okay. In those, <laughs> in those jurisdictions where they point to it, it is when you had a single individual member or you had everyone is voting uh, citywide. So, for example, I think one of the examples they used was um, in uh, Massachusetts. There is a nine-member body, but you vote, and everybody votes district-wide, citywide. This is not, okay, this is my one district, and I'm going to have three people, and this is n not, there's, there's nothing to compare this to. It is untried, and, you know, as I said, I just keep going back to, I am really tired of Portland being a guinea pig for what I believe is a bad idea when there is a better idea on the table. If this charter reform ballot measure passes, can we change it before 10 years? It could change in 10 years when the next charter commission review committee is formed. It could also change sooner than that, but from a practical perspective, that is highly unlikely. I believe this is what we're going to be stuck with. Uh, the way it could be changed is any citizen or group could form a committee to get enough signatures to put it on the ballot. And uh, as anyone who follows or is involved with that process knows, um, that's pretty hard to do. And it's unlikely that anyone is going to do that. It's also very unlikely. It could also change um, if a vote is proposed by someone on the city council. It is highly unlikely that anyone, if this passes, is going to come out and take a stand and say, I would like to propose something that goes against what the voters have passed. If the voters pass it, I know for a fact, Mingus is not going to do that. I don't know if anyone else is going to do that either. And so that's why I say, in all likelihood, this is the system we will have for another 10 years. So I think that's really important. You just said, you know for a fact that if this charter reform in November passes, Mingus is not going to argue that we should amend it. He's not going to argue for his plan Correct. anymore at that point. Correct, because that would be going against the will of the voters. If the voters want this and it passes, it's not, it, he's not going to be someone who's proposing, let's overturn the will of the voters. But I think your point is sort of, let's understand what we're getting into here. Because exactly. I don't know that everybody does. Well, it's interesting. There's been some polling recently that was done about charter reform. And there was initially, uh, I believe it was something like, you know, it, there's no doubt that the polling shows the city of Portland wants and is ready for charter reform, but they are starving for change. As we have gone about educating people about what the existing proposal is versus Mingus's proposal, 
currently 61% of Portlanders are, at least based on the polls, um, are in favor of charter reform. 31% are in favor of Mingus's plan. And 30% are in favor of the proposed plan. And our role, as I said, we want people to make informed choices. And so the role of the Ulysses PAC is to educate the public as to what this is, as well as the alternative proposal that Mingus is going to be presenting in January. One of the criticisms I've heard is that it's, is that it's disrespectful for us to vote against charter reform in November because the charter committee has been working on this for a very long time and we should defer to them because we haven't been sitting around thinking about this for the last two years. Well, I can point out that Mingus's pack and the people who are make who make it up and Mingus have been thinking about this for well before uh, he was elected and the, even before the pack was formed. This is as you pointed out earlier, this is a platform that Mingus ran on. It's something he had thought about. It's something he has experienced by virtue of, his, of being a political science professor. Um, and he has a—he's got an incredible pedigree. I mean, he's got a court, but his PhD is from like Cornell, and um, it's in government. Yes. And, um, yeah. I, it's so. What you're saying is he wasn't just nebulously thinking about charter reform all this time. Mingus and Ulysses have been coming up with this plan. I mean, it sounds like he's been thinking about a specific plan since before he was elected to city council, not just some nebulous idea about charter reform. Absolutely. But more importantly, to get back to the question that you asked, I don't think it's disrespectful to talk about an alternative proposal. I think that that premise is you are, if a large group of people get together and work for a really long time on something, then by definition, you must honor what comes out of that. And that would mean that if your legislature came out with something that you disagreed with, well, you know, please don't talk about it and don't talk about any alternatives. Don't even suggest it because that would be disrespectful. I think it's also disingenuous for people to say that it's disrespectful if, because in this case, we know that a large number of public comments submitted to the Charter Commission said we want ranked choice voting separate from any other aspects of the proposal. And they did not listen to those voices. In the City Club debate that was recently held, they said from day one, that single-member districts was off the table. They weren't going to consider it. Was that disrespectful? I think they feel very strongly that they came up with a good plan, and we feel we've come up with a good plan. Our suggestion is, why don't we share information with the public, explain how it will work, and let them decide. That's not disrespectful. That's democracy. How do you answer the criticism, well, where were y'all in the last couple of years with your plan? Like, if you had this plan, why didn't you propose it at the outset of the Charter Commission? I mean, why would you let a Charter Commission spin their hamster wheels for two years? We weren't letting them spin their wheels. People who supported Mingus's plan were communicating with the Charter Commission and making these suggestions and participating in that process. For example, Vadim, who was on the Charter Commission, was well aware and suggested some of the things that are contained in Mingus's alternative plan. They were not considered uh, and they weren't adopted. And so we didn't know what we were going to have to do until we saw what came out. If they had come out with a plan that we could get behind and support, the Ulysses Pack would be spending its time and its energy promoting a vote yes. But we can't because we simply don't believe that this is the right way forward for Portland. And going back to your answer before I asked this, that last question about where were you during those two years, when you said people were 
roundly arguing for, or at least trying to persuade the charter committee to to consider ranked choice voting separate. You mean the way Mingus is doing it as a separate ballot measure, as a separate thing that we will be voting on. Correct. And we can accept or reject additional commissioners and geographical districts and ranked choice voting as separate issues. Correct. And of course, with this current measure that's on the ballot now, it's just a big package. Correct. And we, and we got to vote no or yes on it. Um, it's my understanding that, that you have support, that, that your plan has some support from the NAACP. Is that right? There are members on uh, from the ACLU, from the NAACP. We, the Ulysses PAC has support, and Mingus's proposal has support from a broad coalition of individuals and organizations that represent many different communities and interests. And so, um, you know, it, it, to say that, uh, you know, I've heard some people say, like, these are business interests that are behind this. No, it's not. Look at who's on the pack. Look at who's endorsing this and supporting it. The Willamette Week came out in support of this proposal. Uh, you know, the Oregonian is saying, do not vote yes on this. Those are two very different papers in the city of Portland. And if you've got those two perspectives and they're both saying vote no, there's probably a reason. Here's a question. If Mingus had been in office sooner, just hypothetically, would he he would have brought charter reform to the ballot? Absolutely. This is, as we've been discussing, this was part of his platform. This is one of the reasons he wanted to get involved in Portland's government. He saw it was not working. He wanted to be part of the solution. That's what we hope is the motivation of all the people who are running for a public office. It truly is with him. He wanted to fix it from within. If, but because the Charter Commission was convening, he didn't need to do anything for a while. But if he'd been in office, say, two years earlier, and this wasn't happening for another two years, and then it was going to be 18 months, absolutely, he would have done exactly what he's going to be doing in January, which is submitting a proposal to the council that this be on a ballot in May, a better version for people to vote for. And he has the votes to make that happen. So that's, so. The, and one of the big questions we, we were getting is, does he have to go out and get signatures? And what I'm hearing from you is, no. What he needs is votes on city council for his plan to show up on the ballot in May. And you're telling me that he believes he has those votes. He does have those votes. He He does have those votes. He doesn't have to get signatures. An ordinary citizen might have to get citizens to get it on the ballot. It works very differently with the city council. They can make a proposal as long as they have a majority. It passes. There would then be uh, public listening sessions, just as there was with the Charter Review Commission. And then that language would be crafted to go on the ballot in May. So we don't actually know what the language will be on the ballot. We know the overall sketch of the plan, but we don't know the specific language yet because we have to engage in... Do we have to engage in listening sessions as a matter of process? Uh, I don't know, actually, if that is, but it would certainly be a terrible idea not to. (laughs) Yeah, so the point is, the reason we don't know the exact language is because we want to engage in listening sessions. Correct, and we'll be focusing on... Do we want a city manager? Yes. And we agree with the Charter Commission on that issue. Do we want voting by geographical district? Yes. We agree with the Charter Commission on that issue. We think there should be seven instead of four. We don't think the mayor should be this tie-breaking vote. Um, Do we want to have, in a separate measure, ranked choice voting? and let the people of Portland decide, and with a single member. And, you know, honestly, I think I, I've been talking to people. If they had come up with four districts, I don't think it's ideal personally, but if they'd come out with four districts and without the multi-member districts, I don't know that we would be opposing this. Really? So e- even with the single transferable vote? That's what I'm saying. It's a, it's, it is a single transferable vote because it's a multi-member district. I see. Yeah. Ranked choice voting is the phrase that is applied when you have only one person who is the ultimate winner. And 
in this case, when you were having three people, it's single transferable voting. And again, I'm, I'm... And again, we don't even really know what that is, and we can't get them to explain it. Well, I, I recommend that people read the Willamette Week's explanation of how it would work, because I think that does a really good job of explaining that this is a really complicated system. It is, uh, you know, right now, if I vote, I have one vote, I vote for one person, and I know they win or they lose. Um, I think that this is a very confusing process. I'm not saying you can't figure it out someday, ultimately, after you look at videos or on a whiteboard and you have meetings with 14 of your friends to decide what rank you want to put people in and who. But I think, quite frankly, it is, I think it's disrespectful to say, well, the voters, what I've heard, the biggest thing I've heard is, well, you're disrespecting the voters. They'll be able to figure it out. Really? Really? Because I know right now with just the limited number of people who are running for a position, I believe in the last uh, election with the hardest election, there were 10 candidates. And I am someone who is very politically active. I went and I did the research on 10 candidates because I wanted my vote to be informed. If you have three people running for a district, I suspect we're going to have significantly more candidates. I have the luxury. You mean three people winning? Three people winning, yeah, correct. Yeah. So we're going to have significantly more running. Like, correct. Like 50 people running. And am I, I have the time and the luxury to look and do the work it takes to make sure that I'm making as informed a choice as possible. I think to assume that everyone in Portland is going to have the time and take the time or have the time and the luxury of time to research 20 candidates, I think that's assuming a little too much. What is the, maybe it's the reason that we reject this ballot measure in November? I have to come back to the single transferable vote. I think that we live in a time where I am hearing every day about people and entities trying to disenfranchise voters to prevent them from voting and to make it more challenging for people to vote. And I think that this system is going to lead to an outcome where fewer people vote, where they don't vote, uh, they don't understand what they're voting for or how their vote is going to be used or be counted. And I think that we will not get a representative government when the full, you know, the final vote is tallied. And so I just don't, I, I don't know why we're making voting harder. Uh, you know, I, I think it, I, we have a great motor voter law. Oregon historically has really been a leader. We've got mail-in voting. Why are we making it harder to vote? Because that's what I think this is doing. And it's going to be harder because it's just so, it's going to be so many people. And then you're going to have to research that many more people. Is that, is that your point? Or you're just going to fill in the dots you know, and you're not going to do the research because you have, there's a, there's a phenomenon called um, ballot exhaustion where the more uh, options you have on a ballot, you just stop after a little while. I think and we've all experienced that. We've all experienced that. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't want that to happen. I really want Portland to come out of this and I want it to thrive and I think it has a much better chance of doing that with Mingus's proposal. And I, I don't know, I don't know what will happen with the proposal from the Charter Commission. But I think if I had to bet money, and I'm really cheap, so I don't bet money unless I think it's going to win. If I had to bet money, you're going to get there sooner with Mingus's proposal than you are with the proposal that has come out of the Charter Commission. Why do you think that? Because I think that it's a simpler proposal. I think it, it's, it's something that people are going to be able to grasp. They're going to want to participate in it. They're going to say, I've got a single person who's, who, who I want to vote for. And, you know, if they vote for ranked choice voting, then, you know, okay, I, I, w I won't have to have a primary anymore. I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. Uh, I think we spent a lot of time and a lot of money uh, on, you know, primaries and, uh, and then we have to have the general elections. So that's why, that's what ranked choice voting eliminates. I don't think that's a bad idea. I think 
meshing it with the single transferable vote and multi-member districts, that's when you, you lose everybody. Now, obviously, Ulysses is comprised of more than Mingus because you're sitting across from me today and you're part of the Ulysses pack. But one criticism I've heard is why should the collaborative process of all these people together for two years that, that city council um, has, has nominated to this charter commission, why should that collaborative process fail over a proposal by Mingus, this city, single city council member? I think that that's, I reject the premise of that question because that assumes that this is coming from just Mingus. And that's absolutely not the case. This has, as we said, Mingus was thinking about this and forming these opinions and getting collaborative, uh, going through the collaborative process before he even ran and decided to run. And since then, we've had, Community forums, house parties, uh, we've got, uh, if you look at the pack, all of these are pe- people who have been involved in government uh, at various levels and have been contributing to this. It is a collaborative process. It's just not a collaborative process with the 18 people that were on the Charter Commission. And then after that, it goes through the council, which is another collaborative process. So I, I, I said, as I said, I, I reject the premise that this is just one person proposing something and, oh, listen to me, I came up with a good idea. He came up with this idea because he's been talking to a lot of people, a very broad coalition of people, for a very long time. Well, and so really we've got the broad coalition that Mingus has been speaking with. We've got the Ulysses Pack, which is a large group of people, including yourself. And then, of course, we've got uh, listening sessions, right? Correct. So that's a collaborative process, I would argue. And then we've got the city council process, which is necessary for Mingus to get these two measures on the ballot in May. Correct. And not to ignore also then the public process after. Of voting. Correct. Yeah, of course. Of course. So who who besides people on the Ulysses PAC supports Mingus's plan? Um, do we have any candidates... Uh, d- does Renee support it? Does Joanne support it? Who supports it? So Renee Gonzalez does support it. Joanne Hardesty does not support it. Um, but for today, uh, former Governor Kulangoski, Ted Kulangoski, he came out and he supported the vote no, and he's in favor of Mingus's plan. As I said earlier, um, the Willamette Week is against the proposal. They liked Mingus's plan. Um, there's also, uh, um, you know, the mayor supports it, as far as I know, and. You know, uh, Carmen Rubio, she's neutral right now. Dan Ryan, he supports it. And I think, you know, I... And that's why Mingus has the votes, because you just named a majority of city council. Right. And I I will say that, you know, I understand Commissioner Hardesty's position that she doesn't want, you know, she wants to support the work that the Charter Commission has uh, done. But I would suspect that if this doesn't pass... She does recognize that Portland's government needs to change and that if Mingus's proposal was what was put forth, I would expect that she would endorse it and support it. Why do you, why do you think that? Well, because I think she's supporting charter reform. She agrees this is, this, we need to change our current form of government. And I don't think she's going to be someone who has sour grapes and said, well, I supported the Charter Commission's proposal and it didn't win that's the voters who decide that. But if the voters then want to get behind an alternative, I don't think she's going to stop saying, yeah, I recognize that we don't, I recognize we need to change Portland's charter. I, 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 would, be, I would be shocked, quite frankly. So you haven't heard anything from Joanne Hardesty rejecting one of Mingus's plans, one of these two proposed ballot measures, let's say, outright, like that's a terrible idea or that's a terrible idea. It's just you're saying she's just for the commission's proposal at this time. That's my understanding. But you're not hearing any, Ulysses is not hearing any any specific criticism of their plan from from Commissioner Hardesty that would necessarily cause her to be against it ultimately if the will of the voters is to reject the, the current ballot measure. I personally have not um, heard anything. I don't know that any, no one else on the Ulysses pack has heard anything like that. 
And I, I haven't heard anything either, and I certainly has, haven't seen it in the press. So he, here's another argument that I've heard. The, the commission argues that if we enact Mingus's plan, local interests are going to come at the expense of broader interests, and that's why we want bigger geographical areas. What does Ulysses have to say to that? Local interests are part of the broader interests. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just I don't know what to make of that. Um, you know, I think what I've, I've heard is that you get a, a broader coalition of or, or broader representation when you have ranked choice voting. They've used examples um, where, for uh, so for example, um, there are areas in town where even if you break them up into a geographic district, the majority will not consist of historically underrepresented vo voices. And so those voices will not be heard because the majority are, is sort of the status quo. That is what I have heard. And they have pointed to, look, here's where ranked choice voting has been implemented, and it has shown that those voices are heard. Again, these are apples and oranges. The things they are pointing to are not what they are proposing. Those are areas where they had single individual candidates. They did not have multi-member districts. I appreciate they're saying, in theory, this is what we expect, but there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. And my understanding is in the examples uh, for instance, in places where ranked choice voting is happening that maybe they're pointing to, there's no quote-unquote single transferable vote going on. That's correct. So, like you said, apples and oranges, I mean, it's a, you can't, there's, except for Malta, <laughs> there's not a lot to, to point to and say, well, it's worked here. So that, that's tricky. What is Ulysses' argument? Um, now, I know we've talked a bit about the, the NAACP and, and diverse people that are maybe support Ulysses or are part of Ulysses, but um, what is Ulysses' argument to the, to the criticism that the Charter Commission consists of a lot of, now of course Mingus is a person of color, but what, what is the answer to the criticism that the Charter Commission consists mostly of a lot of Portlanders of color and that these are historically unrepresented groups, these are historically oppressed groups, and um, the, their voices that, that we really need to start to start listening to? Well, I don't, first of all, I would say, look at the people who are supporting Mingus's plan. It's also a broad, diverse group. You know, we've talked to small business owners, union leaders. We've got people from NAACP leadership. We've got the former director of Basic Rights Oregon, former leaders of the Democratic Party of Oregon. We've got members of the ACLU. You know, Terry Porter is on our uh, our pack. For those people who don't know, tell us about Terry Porter. Uh, he is a legend. He formerly played with the Trailblazers, and he has been incredibly active in the community and, um, and uh, local politics, and he's just a really great human. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times. So, um, so when I hear that and, uh, you know, I mean, is that what we're going to do? We're just going to line up and, you know, one group versus another. They both have broad co coalitions. They both have support of a lot of different groups. And I want to also keep in mind and remind people, we're not saying all the ideas they came up with are bad. We like most of them. We agree about more than we disagree. So uh, I don't think we're, you know, those voices are being heard. They're being incorporated or we're, you know, mirrored in the very proposal that we're putting forth. What do you say to people who argue that um, people who are coming out against charter reform, that would have to include the Ulysses PAC, are resorting to politics of, of fear and division and um, trying to maybe wrest power away from people on the Charter Commission who believe that 
you know, let's say this single transferable vote, I mean, if, if somebody gets 9% and that's the way it shakes out, that person should be on city council. What, what, do, what do you say to that argument that that really people who are saying no on charter or and or Ulysses Packer are resorting to fear and division? I disagree. I don't think that's how the Ulysses Pack has presented its perspective on charter reform. I don't think that, you know, all we've done is presented an alternative. And all we're doing is educating people. We hope to give people information and say, you you pick, you decide. So I'm not seeing how, at least with respect to what the Ulysses Pack is doing, is sowing fear and being divisive. All we're doing is saying, we think we have a different and a better alternative. We would like to present you with this information. You decide for yourself. That's what we're doing. If somebody wants to reach out to the Ulysses Political Action Committee, where do they go? Where do we find you? Do you all have a website? Basically, www.ulyssespack.com. And you can go on there and hit uh, our team and it will show you the different uh, individuals that are uh, participate in the PAC. Um, and it you know, explains their backgrounds, their perspectives. And um, you know, I think, as I said, I think we're made up of a pretty broad coalition. And you know, those are just the people that are on the PAC. There are a number of individuals who also serve as advisors that are not necessarily on the website. And again, this isn't just one guy. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, that, again, that's just that you talk about like a fear mongering idea that's set to divide people. Well, that's what that is. That's a simplistic argument. This is some guy. No, it's not. And that's very easily, you know, uh, proven. And so I just, that's how I respond to that. Well, and I think it's important to point out that even though you and I have even referred to this as Mingus's plan, that's because Mingus is just, first of all, he has a very distinctive name. I've, it, I'd be hard-pressed to find a person in Portland who, when you say the name Mingus, doesn't know who you're referring to. Um, and so I, and because he ran on charter reform and is currently on city council, that's, I mean, just personally, that's why I, I refer to it as Mingus's plan. I'm assuming that's why everybody else refers to it as, as Mingus's plan, just because that's probably, besides Terry Porter, of course, the most well-known guy on the Ulysses PAC. Exactly that. And as I said, anyone who has questions about who is it, what's, what's behind this, go to the website, take a look at who's behind it, look at the people who are supporting this, look at who's coming out in favor of it, look at who's coming out against the current proposal. And again, I can't emphasize enough, we believe the Charter Commission came up with a lot of good ideas. We just don't think it's the best approach. And what we want to do is educate Portlanders and give them the information and let them make as informed a choice as possible. Why would you be against someone giving information to the public, factual information, not misinformation, information about why you think an alternative is a better plan? Why would you be opposed to that? That's what's going on. It's not fear-mongering. It's not being divisive. It's not being disrespectful. It's democracy. I'm trying to understand the timing of the Charter Commission's proposal because one of the many questions we've received over and over again is why isn't Mingus's plan on the ballot now in November? What, like, what, 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 the minute Ulysses or Mingus or anybody, Vadim, you know, resigned, the minute somebody realized that the Charter Commission's vision was going to be at odds with the Ulysses' vision, why couldn't Mingus have proposed his plan to city council and put an alternative on the ballot now? I don't think that what he wanted to do was have competing ballot measures. Um, and also keep in mind, it wasn't that much time before, uh, between when the uh, proposal came out and when the vote was going to uh, be presented to the people. And so the Charter Commission has had months and months and months a head start to raise a lot of money 
uh, and to get people behind, you know, uh, their position, get them lined up. Uh, we have not had as much time. And so there are, in terms of, you know, why we weren't presenting something right now, because we didn't, number one, as I said, we didn't know what we were going to have to be presenting. And number two, because it may pass, right? If it passes, okay, that's what the people want. But we can also get it done if it's not what people want very quickly without having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on mailers, on uh, you know, everything that's used, commercials, you know, in terms of getting a ballot measure across now or, you know, so this is, I think, the more efficient approach, frankly. So was the, was the commission's plan literally under wraps to everybody, including Mingus on city council until they, un, un, quote unquote, unveiled it to the world? I don't think that it was under wraps. I think there were definitely, um, discussions and ideas that were being shared. And I can tell you that I know uh, during that process, people were pushing back on what they felt were the bad ideas. But those comments weren't adopted. And this was pushed through. And I think a lot of, as I've said, I think a lot of the public comment was ignored, important comments. And this is what we came. This is what came out. We didn't know it was going to come out until the last vote. And that was, as you said, that was relatively recent. I mean, that was so so recent. In fact, that when you saw what came out, as you said, there wouldn't have been time to present a competing measure, even if Mingus wanted to. Although it sounds like Ulysses and Mingus decided, let's not present a competing measure. They didn't want competing measures on the ballot no, anyway. No, we don't want to incur... No, we didn't want to do that. We Instead, we wanted to present people with the information of what an alternative could look like and how quickly it could be adopted. And that's what we've done. Um, you talked about money. It's my understanding that the city has actually paid for outreach for the commission. Has the city given Ulysses any money? I'm not aware of us having any funds from the city. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't think so. No. If, if this ballot measure is defeated, does Mingus pre present the actual language of the, that's going to be on the ballot to city council in January? No. As with any ballot measure, the crafting of those statements is a very technical um, task. And so what would happen uh, with the, um, at the commission level is that Mingus would present the idea, the general idea, and this is how it would work. And then there, people would debate about, well, we want this, we don't want that. And then there would be public listening sessions. Um, and by the way, I also want to point out that right now, the Ulysses PAC, in presenting uh, its alternative is getting feedback from people about what they might like to see. So those things are being taken into account as well as we go forward. But back to the process, um, once a uh, decision is reached on what is going to be presented to the voters and how to present it, uh, typically that goes to the city attorney to make sure that it's crafted in a way that complies with all these rules about what can be in a ballot measure. And then that is what would go forward. So when you say when Mingus goes to the city council in January, for those of us who don't, aren't as familiar with government as you are, what ha what exactly happens in January on city council? So there will be a proposal. These are my, uh, you know, the ideas that I think we should have a ballot measure. I think we should have a ballot measure that uh, takes into account these things, the seven members, the geographic districts, the, um, excuse me, the city manager, and people vote on that. Like, we, we get behind that proposal. And then, as I said, that's when you have a little more work and word, and then the wordsmithing and then the ballot measure. So when you say we vote on that, you mean city council votes on that. And then, um, and then are the listening sessions 
That's right, right? City Council votes on that. Correct. Okay. And then the listening sessions are after the wordsmithing or before the wordsmithing? Before. Before the wordsmithing. And, that, you know, I, I don't like to, I mean, I don't like to use the word wordsmithing. Yeah. You know, I don't mean to diminish that. Yeah. That, that's a really important part is to make sure that it's drafted in a way that's clear and understandable to the voter when they read what's in the ballot measure. That's a really important part of the process. Um, but that would happen after listening sessions because it is possible Mingus could go and say, well, this is what I'm thinking. And then listening sessions happen and they get a lot of feedback about something. I'm not saying that this will change, but I'm saying it's possible. So it's within the realm of possibilities, then it could be like, well, maybe, maybe we should break it out into three. I don't, that's not the plan, but you know, and I, I'm not in Mingus's head. I'm just trying to describe in general how a political process would work if this was brought forward by any city commissioner, any idea when they say, I want to put something on the ballot. This is how it will work. And when you talk about listening sessions, again, for those of us who aren't as familiar with government as you are, can you talk about what those listening sessions entail? Because it sounds like a passive session like we're all literally just listening but I'm also hearing you say that there's going to be feedback that's going to be taken into account absolutely the proposal will be submitted to the public it'll be probably on the on the websites um, there may be mail-ins uh, there may be public hearings during which people can come in person or virtual but there will be opportunities for the public to comment on what's being proposed and if, if people want to comment now, they hear this episode and they go, oh my gosh, there's all these things that I need to communicate to Ulysses about what I want to see. Maybe I do want to see three different proposals. How do they get in touch with you all? Do they go to your website? Exactly. They would go to the website. There's information there and there is, I believe, a contact us. Um, there's nothing preventing anyone from participating now. And I would also say look on there regularly um, to see when... We, the next listening session is going to happen for the current proposal, you know, uh, because we are setting up um, public uh, forums where we can present information about the proposed plan, the alternative plan, I should say. I didn't want to say Mingus's proposed plan, the alternative plan. And people can are free to, you know, comment and share their opinions at those times as well. What about people who want to support you or people who want to donate to you? Can they donate on the Ulysses website? Absolutely. There is a button that you can press, donate to the pack. And, um, you know, we people are free to do that. <laughs> yeah. And what about, you talked about house parties. I mean, can people support the Ulysses pack with a house party in the same way they might support, say, a candidate for city council? They can. And again, I would encourage people to go to the website and reach out and express interest in doing that. I'd say you need to do it quickly because the vote is coming up. Um, also, there uh, are lawn signs that can be obtained uh, if people that are uh, encouraging just vote no on the proposed uh, charter measure. Um, there are also, um, you know, I encourage people, one of the things that I've seen that has been very effective is if you have a listserv and you share your opinion, the information with those people that you know, this is a, you know, Portland is a, it's a city, but it's a big town too. And so, you know, we're trying to get the word out to as many people as we can, as widely as we can. So I encourage anyone who wants more information to visit the website, get the information that they want, and then share it as widely as they can because, again, from our perspective, people need to get information about both proposals to make an informed decision. And, again, I think the Willamette Week, when you have questions about how's the single transferable vote work, read that. Um, I think, you know, I came away from that and was, uh, I know it was supposed to explain it, but I was almost more confused than ever, even though I did you know, getting, I, I know how it works and I just think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I, I felt confused as well. And that's why I signed the, the letter. So I've received a lot of email asking for Ulysses literature. They want brochures, they want handouts, they mm -hmm. want something they can show their neighbors. 
do does Ulysses have this? There are some mailers that are actually coming out, uh, I believe, this week. So people should be getting those in their mailbox if they want something um, that they can maybe print off um, and then, as you say, distribute it to their friends and neighbors. Then absolutely, again, they should contact the Ulysses Pack. Um, I'm sure that you know, I'm certain that there is materials that can, there are materials that can be provided. And what else, uh, if anything, do you want people to know about Ulysses and about this better way in May before we close? I feel like your questions really <laughs> covered the most, you know, everything we really wanted to get across. But it, again, I, I've said it 10 times if I haven't said it more. I want people, I know Ulysses Pack wants people to just make an informed choice. And so if you have questions, get the answers and get the answers from the people who have the information. I've known people who have tried to get answers about how ranked choice voting will work from the Portland Charter Commission and they walk away confused. But, uh, you know, I just really want to encourage people to get the information that they can to make an informed choice and get the word out if you, you know, so you can share it with others. I want Portland to succeed. And I really believe, after living here for 30 years, that this is not the way. Well, and if you're comfortable with it, I, I would like people to hear, and maybe this is why you were chosen for the PAC, but I'd like people to hear about your experience with government because you're not a novice when it comes to Portland government. Are, are you comfortable talking about your background? Sure. Um, when I, I moved to Portland 30 years ago to go to school at Lewis and Clark Law School for environmental law, I moved to Portland from the East Coast, and I got here and knew immediately this was where I was going to spend the rest of my life. And by the time I graduated, I was telling people, I'm going to run for mayor. I'm absolutely going to run for mayor. And I wanted to learn more about the political system in Portland. And so I was on the steering committee of the Multnomah County, uh, uh, or the Multnomah County Steering Committee for the Oregon League of Conservation Voters. So for many, many years, I participated in a group where we vetted candidates, we analyzed their campaigns, we determined viability, we endorsed those who we believed uh, would be able to win and who supported our interests at that time. That was, uh, you know, it's an environmental organization. We wanted pro-environmental candidates. But we also, as I said, I learned a lot about just elections and campaigns and how they were won. And after doing that for, I think, maybe 15 years, I decided I didn't want to go into politics because it was just... Um, unless there were voter-owned elections or publicly financed elections, which... After I left OLCV, I really started supporting Amanda Fritz, who really championed that cause. And I was so happy when Portland adopted publicly financed elections. And I think the current makeup of the city council that we have today, which is more diverse than in Portland's history, is a direct result of the publicly financed elections. Um, so... Uh, you know, after supporting her and working on that issue... I looked to where I could continue to work and be involved in um, local politics, and the PAC presented itself. And um, I just think this is such an important issue. And so um, when asked to serve, I did. When you say publicly financed elections, is that the donor matching program? Yes. And the matching is actually times nine, is my understanding. Of course, you know, your point is uh, with the um, publicly financed or publicly funded elections, those candidates get a lot of money from the city of Portland. Well, and, from, from us, from well, the taxpayers. And I was going to say, and that's from us. And, you know, I, I'm compelled to point out that, you know, when you say what's going to be the more expensive plan, well, you know, we're going to be paying for how many candidates to run when we have 12 seats <laughs> versus seven. Yeah, I think that I think it's fair to say that the charter commissions. I mean, I'm obviously I'm speculating here, but I, I think it's fair to speculate that the charter commission's estimate about how much this baby's going to cost is pretty, gosh darn conservative, um, especially given Portland's history of underestimating how much any given 
program is going to cost, period. Um, and of course, the, the current ballot measure has significantly more commissioners um, that, that would be elected to city council than the Ulysses PAC. So I, I, I do appreciate you explaining your background because I think it's important that people know that um, you have some sense of, of what you're talking about and that you, you've been a longtime Portlander. Yeah, well, I, I hope I can continue to be a longtime Portlander. I think the city really, you know, it's, it's in a state I've never seen it. And I think it can turn around, but I don't think this is the way that it's going to, the, with the current proposal, I don't think that's the best way forward. I want it to turn around as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I think we would do that with the alternative plan, but certainly not with the one that's on the ballot. Well, Sonia Montalbano from Ulysses, thanks for coming on. And again, if you want to learn more about Ulysses, please visit their website. If you want to donate to Ulysses, you can also do that on their website. That is ulyssespac.com, U-L-Y-S-S-E-S-P-A-C.com. And you can reach out to them on Ulysses Pack. And of course, my assumption is uh, Mingus's city council email uh that's more of his official city council deal that would probably not be the best way to reach out but when you go to ulyssespack.com which i'm on right now it doesn't take a lot of scrolling to get to a button that says email so click email and you know once you do that you can write whatever you want tell them what you want start the listening sessions now according to sonia ulysses has been engaged in these quote-unquote listening sessions for a while via this political action committee. So if you want your voice to be heard now, you can do it today. You can do it while you're listening to this episode. And of course, as she also said, if you want to donate, donate quickly. If you want to do a house party, you better do that quickly because the, the ballots are out. I'm staring at mine right now. And we don't have a lot of time before this uh, the voting closes in, in November. I think it's November 8th. So um Please act quickly if, if this interests you at all. Thanks again, Sonia. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.